Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning again. It is good to be with you. My wife Sandy's not with me this morning. You can continue to pray for her as she strengthens, renews her strength from just in July, having had five bypass surgery. Uh, I know when you see her, you think, she doesn't look like somebody who would have to have that. But the doctors all said you can't outrun genetics, and it runs in her family. So just continue to pray for her. She's doing very well this week on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. The thing that she said to me was, I'm not doing better. I feel good. And so there, there were three days there in a row she was saying she just feels good. So thank you, those of you who knew and were praying for her. I just want to say thank you to you for gratitude for that. Take your copy of God's Word. We're going to be looking in, in three specific locations, maybe four, but Luke chapter 17 uh, is one of those places beginning in verse 11 through 19, and it's the story that you just heard here with the children's sermon, but then we're going to go to Daniel chapter 6, and, and you will want to look there because I'm going to read that entire chapter for us because there is a, a picture of thankfulness there in a very horrible, deceitful situation. And, and then we're going to turn and, and we're going to look in the book of Acts about the Apostle Paul and some of the things he faced, and yet still having a very grateful, thankful heart. But let me read first what it says in Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 11 and following. It says, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. And they lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master! Have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. And then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. I, 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 could, I could just start right here, but I have to resist because I, I want us to go back. I Here's what I want, and here's, here's what I have titled this in my mind and heart today for approaching Thanksgiving is, will you be that one? Or I guess I could say it in a positive statement, be that one. In, in, a, in a world, in a United States of America, when right now we see so much that's wrong that we would agree is, is falling apart in society, the one who turns and honestly in his or her heart, constantly coming before God and giving God thanks, 
when something great has happened, is still rare. How much more if something drastic has happened? Uh, for instance, uh, over in uh, uh, the book of, of Daniel, chapter 6, here's what it begins. And you'll remember this story, uh, youth. It's the story of Daniel in the lion's den. All right? Here, here's what happens. Beginning of verse 1, it pleased Darius, the king, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom David was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground of complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Verse 5, Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps, they came by agreement to the king and said to him, O oh, King Darius, live forever! All the high officials of the kingdom, the perfects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that well, just a moment, just hold your place right there. Did they all agree? There was one not there who was the highest official, and that was Daniel. The councils and governors all are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, now grasp that. The document said if anybody would petition any god or anybody else other than King Darius, they were thrown in the lion's den. When he knew it had been signed into law. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, verse 10, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and they found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? 
king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of the lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet, with his own signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace. He spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose, and he went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continuously, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Verse 24, And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den... The lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all the royal dominion, people are to tremble before and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. What a great story. But it's not just a story. It's history. It's something that truly happened. You know, it, it's one thing in the story in, in the book of Luke that we're going to be returning to in a little bit. It's one thing when 
everything was horrible for you just in life, and all of a sudden you come upon Jesus, and you ask Him for mercy, and He totally heals you, and everything is great, it would seem like the most natural thing in all the world to come and throw yourself at His feet and give Him thanks. Eucharisto, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper that we partake of together, the Eucharist, is a thank-offering meal. We come to give God thanks for the shedding of His blood, the giving of His Son, so that we could be forgiven of our sin and have eternal life with Him. So this leper came. In, in the Old Testament here, for Daniel... Daniel was in a situation, we know from the story, that he had a pattern in his life. His life's pattern was to go to his upstairs room, to those open windows toward Jerusalem, because he was in captivity in Babylon. And so he would go there, and three times a day, not just once, three times a day, he would fall on his knees, and he would give thanks and praise to God. While he was in captivity... Things weren't changing. He was being elevated. There were individuals out to get him to deceitfully trick the king into destroying Daniel because I want you to know the more you stand for Jesus, the more there are going to be people in this life who really don't like you. Not everything's going to be happy ever after in life. But for Daniel... It didn't matter. If it meant my falling on my knees and my petitioning God, the living God, my praying to Him, my giving Him the thanks, means that I lose my life tonight, so be it. My commitment is to God, not to man. And so, in that situation, we stop and we think. We, we, we can go through the process and think, Man, what kind of faith does it take to know? Because he knew, we read it, as soon as he knew the edict had been signed by the king according to the law of the Medes and Persians, it meant as soon as he knelt on his knees, the death penalty was there for him. Lions get hungry. Perhaps he had even seen individuals thrown to the lions before. And yet, he was going to the line of the tribe of Judah. And so he knelt down, as he had been in the habit of doing, as he had been in the habit of doing, as he had been in the habit of doing. You know, we, we come to this Thursday, Thanksgiving, we're going to have a big meal, there's probably going to be some football, there's going to be fun. But how much time are we going to give? Maybe even kneel and give thanks to Jesus. In spite of circumstances, maybe not too terribly different politically than they were in Daniel's day. And everybody was trying to find a loophole try to find some way of taking somebody down. There's just a lot of familiarity with us today in America. 
or in any country around the world. But yet, here was a Daniel. It didn't, didn't, didn't matter what everybody else did. He wasn't going to get in. He didn't, it didn't say he rose up and shared his voice to the king at the midst of the time that it was signed, that it was wrong. He just goes back to the king. And he falls on his knees. And he thanks him that you're God, you're on your throne, you're in control. My life is in your hands, whether I live or whether I die. It's, it's in your hands, God. I, I, I trust you. I'm in your hands, and I give you thanks. And so he did that three times a day. He had always been doing that three times a day, three times a day, three times a day, seven days a week, 30, 31 days a month, 365 days a year. For all of the number of years he had been in captivity in Babylon, because he and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been taken together, not to mention, he saw the deliverance of the fiery furnace for his three buddies because of God. But here he is, just praising God, giving God thanks, and God shows up and works a miracle. Sometimes I wonder, do we really believe God still works miracles? Do we still believe God can step in in circumstances and situations in which we live in real life and He can still do what seems to be the impossible? And I don't say this to step on anybody's toes, but it's, it's not the Republicans and it's not the Democrats. It's God. He's on His throne. And nobody can vote him off. He will always be on his throne. And Daniel knew that. So even when the, the political world around him was against him, and the king had been tricked to see to it that Daniel was killed, isn't it amazing that God did something in the king's heart that night to where he could not sleep, he fasted. They didn't even bring him anything to, I mean, they, they didn't bring him an iPhone to play to occupy the night. No video games, no kind of entertainment of any kind. He spent the night awake praying and hoping. First crack of day. That day's over. He gets up. King, he runs to the den of lions. The sealed rock is still on the tomb. He is crying with his voice while it's still there. Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God. He goes to him. Has he been able to keep you alive and save you from the lions? Oh, king, may you live forever. Isn't that amazing? He's still surrounded by the lions. I've got a picture of Daniel just laying, reclining back on these big male lions as they're just there in this den. There's a picture in a Bible that I was given when I was 12 years old, and I still remember it. Because I just don't read words. I live movies out in my head of watching the stories 
come to life. Daniel, Daniel was the one when it meant it could have been his life. He still was the one who came and prayed. Over in uh, the book of Acts, over in Acts beginning in the end of chapter 15, there, there is the, going to be the, the end of chapter 15 is going to be the beginning of the second missionary journey. Uh, he had gone on the first missionary journey. He had had Barnabas with him. Uh, he had had John Mark with him. Halfway through, John Mark had left and gone back. They went on. In the first missionary journey, he was stoned, left for dead, thrown on the garbage heap of life. Uh, they assumed he was dead. The disciples came around him. He got up. They walked back in. He discipled them, moved on to the next town. He did not give up. He did not curse them. He did not go after them. He just returns through, strengthens the brothers. He comes back. The end of chapter 15, in chapter 15, what he's done, they've gone back to Antioch. They've gone down to Jerusalem. They, they've sought some answer about whether you had to abide by the law as a believer or not. There were just certain things that were there. They brought it back. They're, they're having a great time. In verse 36, he just can't stay away from the mission field. And so he turns to Barnabas and says, let's go again. The guy was just stoned. Let's go again and see how they're doing. Let's go back where they stoned me. Let's go see how the believers are doing and strengthen them. Barnabas says, great, I'll get John Mark. Whoa, he left us halfway through. And it, it says, you know, there, there, was, there was some tension there. Enough tension where Barnabas and Paul separated. Barnabas got John Mark, went back to the island uh, where they had begun the first missionary journey. Paul took Silas, and they went to the other part of the first missionary journey. They found a young man named Timothy who had a great reputation. His father was a Greek. His mother was a Jew. Uh, uh, but he was going to take him with him. He had a great reputation among all the groups of believers. Paul was going to take him. He had somebody else to pour his life into. He was excited. And so they go through all those towns, and the Scripture tell us in chapter 16, as, as we begin following through, uh, they go into all those towns that they had been in, and the, the believers are strengthened, and their numbers are growing. And so he begins to think, let's, let's push out a little bit further. So they begin to go to Asia Minor. But he was denied by the Spirit of God to say anything about the Word of God. I mean, you're talking about Paul. And the Spirit of God said, no. And all Paul wanted to do was to push the gospel forward. And God said, no. They tried to go into Bithynia. No. Did Paul give up because now twice God said no? I know sometimes when we as believers try something, we think this is what God wants, we're going to do this, and the answer comes back, no. Like a dog who steps on a thorn and holds his paw out the whole time, thinking, I've been wounded. God said no to me. God guides us with his no's to something he has that's a yes. 
So they wound up in Troas. He had his dream of the man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. So they concluded as he shared the dream with Dr. Luke's with them now. Here's Silas and here's Timothy. So there's the four of them. They get on a ship. They sail over. They wind up in Philippi. You know the story in, in Philippi, the start of the, where the book of Philippians comes in. This, this part of the Gospel of Acts talks about how this major Roman city didn't have enough Jewish males to have a synagogue because it required ten Jewish males in an area for them to gather together and actually have a Jewish synagogue, which was their education system for their children. They didn't have that. A major city that had nothing about Judaism, so... He began to ask a question and find out, are there any, any people who pray? Well, there's some ladies who go down here by this river, and they pray. So he goes down, and they go down, and they sit there, and they're just sitting there. And Lydia walks up and asks some questions. And they begin to share the gospel, and she becomes a follower of Christ, and the ladies do, and this church begins. And she says, if you found me faithful in Jesus, come to my house. Set up your church in my house. And so the process begins a little bit later, whether it's a few days, the next day, a week or two, whatever's taking place, he comes through the city market. They're going back out to share the gospel. This little girl, this teenage girl who has been demon-possessed by this demon runs up and just keeps saying, these are the servants of the Most High God. They tell you the way of salvation. These are the servants of the Most High God. Paul, for some reason, I thought that sounded like pretty good publicity except for who it was being said by, and people would have just figured. But she could tell the future, and she was a slave girl of some merchants who would use her ability to tell the future to make money. Paul turns around, annoyed, points the finger, and speaks to the Spirit and says, come out of her. And immediately the Spirit comes out. She loses her ability to tell the future. Her masters, they're upset. They grab Paul and Silas. They drag them into the city marketplace before their judicial system and say, these Jewish people, they've come here teaching things that the Roman law does not permit. Talking about praying to a, a, a Lord Jesus. There's no one but Caesar. And so they strip them down, have the rods, and they beat them with the rods. The law required they could not be beaten more than 39 times with the rod. 40 was too much. So they beat them, dragged them to the dungeon, put them in the inner part of the dungeon, put them in stocks as they're sitting there. Imagine, still stripped bare, down to their loincloth, in the dungeon, chained, ankles, wrists, beaten, bruised, bleeding. It's about midnight. The two of them decide to sing. Praise. Hymns. To God, to the Lord, and how good he was. And the scripture is written to where all of those who were in there with them were listening to them. 
The earthquake happens. You know the story, right, guys? The earthquake happens. The door falls off. The, the fetters all fall off of them. Everybody's set free, but everybody's just sitting there. Because God's up to something. Uh, you know the end of the story. Paul finally has to leave Philippi. But the Philippian jailer and his whole family get saved. These prisoners get saved. It's written in the Greek language and such that they become believers. Had Paul never been in there, would not have had access in there, had to be beaten and thrown in in prison to have access to share the gospel. Here, here's this. We, we look at him and think he must have a big old S on his for saved, not Superman. But he's willing to go through this stuff and still give God praise and thanks. Through all of this being denied in the distress in what was a disastrous situation. What makes the character within any one of us so strong to be people who give thanks for, for us to be the one? What, what, what gets us to where when we're in before the lion's den, when we are in the dungeon, when we are being denied, all of these things, when we're being stoned, th those types of things, what causes us to keep going on? Something had to have happened. Let me, uh, Ephesians chapter 5. The passage in dealing with being filled with the Spirit, where he says, Be filled with the Spirit, verse 18, 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. That's what Paul was doing, and that's what he's saying here we need to do. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God. Thanking God always and for everything. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. We have this attitude of gratitude, so to speak. Uh, our, our life is captured. People can look at us and say, I don't know what else there is about Rick, but he sure does love his God and thanks his God an awful lot. He's always saying thank you to God. Always. Always. Over in 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. Uh, uh, I'm going to begin reading in verse 12, but it, it's going to boil down around, around verse 18. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so it's give thanks in, in Ephesians it was give thanks 
for all circumstances. So no matter what the circumstances are, I give God thanks for them. And when I'm in the midst of them, I'm in those circumstances, I give God thanks. When you didn't know whether you'd come out of the surgery and it was all clear. In those circumstances, God, I'm just thanking you. I'm thanking you. Our daughter, uh, she's had four heart ablations. She was in Nepal. She was going to be a missionary, and her heart began to race, and she couldn't stay on the mission field. IMB would not take her. She now lives down in Branson, married to a doctor, and they're doing mission work. But her fourth ablation... The surgeon had been working and called for us and brought us into the operating room right by her on the bed. And she was in tears. And he wanted to try something experimental. Didn't know whether it would work. And my daughter said, Dad, I've got to do something. I, ha- I, ha- I have to have something. For everything, in everything, I said, let me pray. And held her hand while she was on the operating table waiting to be put out so he could do this. And just giving God thanks that he knows. And he's ultimately the one who controls the hand of the surgeon. He's ultimately the one who controls the life of the little girl that he loaned to me to be her daddy. She has two of my grandchildren right now. But to give God thanks for everything and in everything requires requires something to have taken place in our life. Back to Luke. Back to Luke 17. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. This is the third time Jesus is going from Galilee, past Samaria, into Jerusalem. When he was going between Galilee and Samaria, we need to know and understand geographically he was going from east to to west because the Jews normally did not go through Samaria even though Jesus did in John chapter 4 it begins with saying Jesus must needs go through Samaria and he met the woman at the well and so there were reasons to go through but here was not one of those reasons he was going back to Jerusalem so they were going between the border of here's Galilee and and now he's heading west and he's going to go around Samaria and come down But they come to this little town. It doesn't tell us the name of the town, but in the town, there there must be a leper colony somewhere around this town because there are ten of these these men with leprosy, a disease in that time that that would just, it, it would cause the nerve endings to just stop and die so accidents would happen and 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 then all of a sudden you'd begin to see stubs and and the cartilage in the nose would be eaten up by the leprosy and so the the nose would begin to go and the ears would begin to find the hair would fall off and the toes and 
it was a gruesome disease that is contagious, but they found out it's not nearly as contagious as what they thought. And so they would cast them out, and they would be separate. In fact, the Jewish law required that they stay 50 paces away from anybody who was not leprous. 50 paces. Now, if, if you're me, walking at 36, a 3-foot, 36-inch pace, that's 150 feet away. If it was somebody just walking at 24 pace, it would be 100 feet if it's 30-inch pace, it's going to be 150 feet away. So they weren't necessarily right there, but they saw Jesus. And they cried out to him, Have mercy on us. And so he probably heard their voice. Understand, Jesus is God. He probably knew exactly where they were. But it says, when he saw them. The word saw, edel, is one of six words in the language for to know. I kind of mentioned this last week in the text we were in. It's almost that when he knew what was inside of them, it's not just the outside. It wasn't that he just physically, optically saw them. He knew their condition. He knew what was needed when they said, have mercy on us. He simply said, go show yourself to the priest. Because in Leviticus, it tells a leprous person that when they no longer have leprosy to be declared free of leprosy, they needed to go to the priest. They needed to offer these offerings. He would examine them from the tip of their head to the tip of their toes, their fingers, everything, to make sure there was no leprosy left on them whatsoever. Then they had to offer this sacrifice, and then they would go through these washings, and then they would be declared by the priest that you are clean. Okay? So there was a process. I'm sure it didn't happen very often. Right now, in 2018, worldwide, and I should say, in, in 1989, worldwide, there were over 16 million cases of leprosy in the world. Modern science has been able to work with vaccines and things to where Worldwide, in 2018, there were 219,000. And so progress has been taken. But not so back then. Life was hopeless. They were dependent on people throwing bread to them. If they got too close, they would be stoned. So in Mark chapter 1, the end of chapter 1, this leper walks, runs up and throws himself down on his knees before Jesus, falls at his feet, giving him thanks and asking him, if you will, you can make me whole. Jesus reaches out and touches him. Whoa! That did not happen. Jesus reaches out and touches him and said, I will be whole. Boom! Leprosy was gone. And he told him to go show himself to the priest. Here's this situation. Here are these ten lepers. And, and they come and they're crying out. When Jesus sees them, he says, go show yourself. They go. As soon as they obeyed, they left. Healing took place. It was gone. Now maybe the other nine didn't realize it had taken place. Or maybe they just did not have a grateful heart. But they ran on. Maybe they were Jews, and they had to go all the way back to Jerusalem to the temple for the priest. This other one was a foreigner. Maybe it's just right here. 
Anyway, something happened inside of him that he turned back, runs back as soon as he saw that he was healed. Throws himself, he's praising God loudly, throws himself down at the feet of Jesus and starts thanking Jesus. Jesus says, Weren't there ten healed? Where are the nine? Is it only this foreigner? This Samaritan? Is it, is it only this one who's come back to give praise to God? And he says something. Verse 19, he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Here, here's, what, here's, what I want to know, here's what I want you to know about the word well. In the Greek language is the word sodzo. S-O-D-Z-O, sodzo. It's the word for to save, for salvation. Your faith has brought you salvation. Your faith is what has saved you. Your faith in God, your faith in coming back to the source. Not just going on to the priest. The priest can't save you. A preacher can't save you. The Savior saves you. And he does so by your expressed faith from your heart to his. See, salvation only takes place not because we're good, not because we're clean, not because we're healthy. Salvation comes because I realize I'm not clean. I am not healthy. I am not good. There's none good, no, not one, the Scripture says. And I realize that I'm lost and I come to him, and I throw myself at his feet, so to speak. Again, the night that I was saved, I sat there on the couch as a 21-year-old, and my head was down between my knees because I could do it then. I was bent over. I was sobbing. I was asking Jesus to forgive me. I was confessing. I knew I was a sinner and deserved hell. But that God, you sent Jesus to die on the cross to forgive me of my sin. Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Change my life. Make my life count for you. Be the one. Be the one. There were nine who ran off. We're not told anything about salvation for them. They were cleansed. But there wasn't anything about them being well. God can do something in your life, something that seems to be good, and we think, oh, I'm okay, God did something good. No, there still has to be salvation in our life. This Thanksgiving, I, I stop and think, next, next Sunday, I get to see my granddaughter baptized. Uh, her daddy gets to baptize her in their church. 
But you know, whether it was my granddaughter or my great-grandfather who died at 96 but gave his life to Christ when he was 92, it still requires an individual to humble themselves, confess to Jesus that they know they're a sinner, no matter how good they are. There are good sinners and there are bad sinners. But we're all sinners, right? Scripture says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I must, at some point in this life, come to Him in prayer, confess to Him, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died to forgive me of my sin. Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. No greater way to celebrate Thanksgiving than to sit around the table and say, tell me when Jesus saved you. Woo! Tell me when Jesus saved you. Get excited. Every vacation we go on, all the adults in our family are followers of Jesus. And each night we do a devotion for missions and one of us tells our story. Simple enough for the children to understand that it requires salvation and mommy and daddy and grandma and grandpa. Well, they don't call me grandpa, they call me pop. And, and, and grandma is not grandma, it's chachi. Because when we worked with the Serer Sin in Senegal, West Africa, the name for grandma was Chachi. It's also the name for old lady. <laughs> so the grandkids call us Pop and Chachi. Our daughter asks, can her children call us Pop and Chachi? <laughs> Just as long as they call us. And so we're Pop and Chachi. But I want my grandkids to know Pop is only going to heaven someday because Jesus came to earth one day. And he paid the price. And when he healed me back January 10th, 1978, it's the same way anybody else comes to him in faith. And he says, your faith has made you well whole, saved. I don't know about you. I don't know about you who are watching on Facebook Live, but if you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, let this be the greatest Thanksgiving ever. Give your heart to Jesus. Give your life to Him today. Now, we don't have an invitation where we invite you to come up here because of COVID, but you can talk to somebody who is here. You can talk to Jesus. Say, Jesus, best I understand, best I know how. I'm saying, Jesus, please forgive me of my sin and come into my life. I may not understand it all, but please forgive me of my sin and come into my life. Change my life. Make my life count for you. Be my Lord and my Savior. In that sense, you're coming to him and you're saying, thank you, Lord, for coming to make me whole. Father, we pray, asking for the anointing of your Spirit on everyone who is here. And if there's even one who's not yet said yes to you, Father, would you help them understand 
Would you give them the faith to say yes? Say yes to you. And would you let us be the one? <laughs> be that one. Who, as soon as we know, <laughs> we're clean. That we run back to you. And we immediately say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. May you be glorified and honored. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.